You've tuned in to the Soundcast Stereo. I'm your co-host, Christopher Coleman. I'm on Channel One, and I seriously miss Spotify notifications. And I'm Eric Woods, and I'm on Channel Two, and I think Verez Saraband's 2000 re-recording of The Last of the Mohicans is better than the original. Soundcast Stereo episodes are two channel 30 minute conversations focused on a single topic from the world of film, television, or video game soundtracks. Today is Tuesday, August 16th, 2016, and this is episode 9 where Eric and I do our second listener feedback. This week, we're featuring just one piece of feedback, believe it or not. We received a, a, an essentially epic speak pipe, speak, pike? speak pipe response from one T. Greer, who reacted to our episode three, uh, the state of the film music theme, which is probably our most responded to episode to date. In fact, we still get tweets, an occasional email, and obviously some voicemails uh, responding to that episode. So that one really rung true for uh, a lot of people. Uh, he responds to the portion of episode three where we talk about the dumbing down of Hollywood movies and also to why some uh, millennials embrace certain types of original scores written today and reject those or the style of those uh, from the past, which many uh, within the older generations uh, that myself and Eric might be a part of, would call classics. So his voicemail it came in nine parts through SpeakPipe, minute 30 apiece, so it's kind of long. But uh, I'm going to play it in almost its entirety, and I think, though, uh, you won't get bored. He's very engaging. He's very thoughtful, well-thought-out uh, points that he makes. And then after it's over, uh, Eric and I will come back to discuss some of the points he brings up. Before I play it, I haven't given Eric much of a chance to say anything, so Eric, here's your chance before the voicemail plays. Um, I hope we get this guy on the show uh, sometime because he's so well spoken, like you said, and I think he has a lot of insight, especially you know when us two <laughs> old farts are talking about classic music. Yeah, <laughs> I feel old yeah. now. I don't. I just feel really old um, talking about this sort of stuff. But he's really good. So, like you said, listen to what this guy has to say. It's 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 so well said, so well done. He has a lot of great points and. Uh, yeah, we'll come back and uh, we'll have a discussion about what he has to say uh, after you hear this. Oh, hey, guys, I'm responding to episode three. I apologize for not getting that sooner, but I had, I had no idea you were doing all these things. It usually takes months and months and months between your podcast. And here I come and find you guys to start a new series. It's every week. I'm excited. It's been great so far. Um, and so I'd like to respond to your podcast on the state of film music in 2016. Um, I have a slightly different perspective than you folks do, I think, because uh, number one, I am a millennial. Um, and number two, I've lived in East Asia. I'm living there now and here in Taiwan. And so that gives me a bit of perspective on some of the topics you talked about, why film music has changed and how much internationalization of the film market has changed um, the content of films and their scores. Um, and so maybe I might be able to give some insight both on how the Chinese market works and also how the millennials think about film music. It's a little bit different for folks in your generation. Um, so first off, 
Let's talk about Asia, because I think you're absolutely right. The, going into Asia and going into these developing markets has dumbed down film music, but I think you slightly miss what the mechanism is. Uh, if you have a fun time, I suggest you watch the movie The Godfather with a Chinese person. And the reason that this movie will be so fun to watch is because um, we Americans, we tend to assume it's like this movie that has these wonderful universal lessons about power and life and relationships and all these things. And you sit down and watch it with a Chinese person who's never seen it before because it was blocked back in the day. Um, at the end of it, they're, they're just kind of like, what, what was this movie about? They don't get it. And then you realize that a lot of the things that make this movie great, the dialogue, the, the settings are very American centric. People don't understand how hard it is to understand really the whole plot what's going on if you don't know things about american history or things about american culture or more western culture in general that just kind of everyone knows and so the movie makes no sense or it makes not as much sense it's not as compelling and amazing as it seems to be in the for westerners even people who haven't seen it today usually respond to it quite well same thing in comedy movies a lot of our comedies are very american centric um you try to translate the funniest lines into a different language it doesn't translate um, and a lot of it has to do with like the culture of the moment. And this is, it works the same way back though. If you watch a Chinese movie, a lot of time you will not understand anything that's going on. If you don't have a strong background in say Chinese history or kind of contemporary Chinese culture or understanding their language, it just doesn't work. So people dumb down the movies by going down to the things which everybody can understand. And those things are stuff like, like slapstick comedy and, uh, you know, like in the action in dramas that boils down to just action so it's that kind of thing um the lowest common denominator and that's why these movies kind of are dumbed down it's not necessarily because people in asia are less sophisticated but it's like you want to make a movie that someone in india and china and russia united states understands and you got to stick to the kind of the lowest common denominator um, but that i don't necessarily think that can account for what's going on with the film music um because there's plenty of chinese movies that are very horrible but which have fairly good scores I mean, you guys recognize this yourself when you nominated uh, Christopher Young's Monkey King for a whole bunch of awards. Uh, they were justly given. I think Monkey King was a great piece of film scoring. Um, but if you've actually seen that movie, you'll know that it's a horrible movie. Everything about that movie is a mess. Number two is okay, but the first one that Christopher Young did is, is a mess. Um, and yeah, Christopher Young managed to do a very good score. Um, Another example, I think, is the film John Woo's Red Cliff. This is an interesting example because Red Cliff was, it was filmed in China, but it was intentionally designed for international audiences. Uh, it went to great acclaim in Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia, and they tried to get an international market. It didn't work quite so well there. And so in this situation, you have a Chinese filmmaker, international box office is your goal. Did we have this same kind of dumbed down music that we expect from media venture bros or from a dc film and the answer is no um, the composer taro ishiwairo um, did an amazing job with that story it, it's, it's it's very distinctive and it's also very sophisticated it's sophisticated because it has several maybe four or five different separate themes all of them compelling and they interweave both when you watch the movie and when you listen to the soundtrack and um, the main themes is very distinctive, um, distinctive in the same way that a theme like Indiana Jones or Star Wars might be, and for the same reasons. It's just a fun score to listen to. In my mind, it's probably the best of the last decade, uh, with maybe the exception of How to Train Your Dragon. This is a very earnest score, which is something many Chinese scores are, because the Chinese people are very earnest people. 
And Americans aren't. We're very cynical. And that kind of translates into our music. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think we can blame internationalization or particularly the Asian market for what is happening. I actually think this is being driven by changes in America's millennials and America's demographics. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that here. And so I think if we're looking at the state of film music, it makes a lot of sense to look at generations in the domestic market. And you, you do that yourself. Um, but I think you miss some things, partly because you're in a different generational position than I am. I thought it was funny when you guys said that um, you didn't think Pirates of the Caribbean really should count as a song that, as a theme that everyone knows. Um, well, I can't think of anybody that I know that's between, that was born between 1985 and 1995 that does not know the theme of that song. Um, when I went to prom, they had a, techno remix version of Pirates of the Caribbean playing. So yeah, everyone knows. And I, I think you could probably say the same thing for Lord of the Rings, or at least the Fellowship theme from Lord of the Rings. Everyone knows it. Um, but those are still 10 years ago, and so I, I agree with your general point. Today's film music sucks in comparison to what it used to be before, especially when you're talking about themes that everybody knows and dominate popular culture. Totally concede that point. Um, but what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why do us uh, youngins hate to have, in your words, emotion in our music? Uh, I don't personally hate it. I'm on your side here. Um, I want themes I can hum. However, I think there's two things that might be able to explain what is going on. So the thing to understand about millennials and their media habits is that millennials are probably the most despicably cynical group of people in American history. Um, and you see the cynicism everywhere. You can look at these Pew Global Studies that look at uh, how much trust Americans have in different things. And look at the millennials, and they don't trust the churches, they don't trust the politicians, they don't trust the newspapers, they don't trust anything at all. Um, and they really don't trust people who are trying to uh, do something for the sake of good or for the sake of beauty, for its own sake. They, they don't think it's real. Um, and so you hear a politician trying to be inspirational, and the instant reaction is to call him out on it. Talk about how he's a hypocrite. Make fun of him. Say, hey, I know what you're trying to do, and it's not going to work with me. Um, and that's totally bleeds into popular culture. You might kind of call it the, the John Stewart approach to the media. And that's how you know the show, like The Daily Show, is so popular. Because it does this with everything. Just kind of this sarcastic, cynical approach to life. Um, everybody loves that show. But that, that's basically what it is. We idolize the people who are too witty and too cynical to be caught up in the fray. And this bleeds into everything, um, not just in the darkness and things like Superman, but I mean, also things like Captain America, which is supposed to be fun. But And again, this contrast with the Chinese who are super earnest, uh, Americans just don't have that. And when you look at a film like uh, Red Cliff, the heroes are just heroes for heroism's sake. There's nothing more to it. That's just who they are. And of course, they get themes that match that sort of heroism. Now, you could score wonderful themes on ambiguous heroes. Uh, that's not really my point. What I'm trying to say is that millennials kind of view the world through this uh, certain emotional detachment. They bring it into their politics, their churches, their classes, and yes, even into their theaters. Um, and so when they hear a score, it's just kind of like when they hear a politician trying to get them all emotional with this high flute and rhetoric. The instant reaction is, hey, I know what you're trying to do here, and I'm not going to get let myself get tricked into handing my emotions over to you. That's how millennials, I think, feel towards their scores. If things are too emotional, too stirring, they just throw this strong defensive wall up. And they kind of say, hey, what are you trying to pull here? What? Are you actually trying to be the next Indiana Jones? 
Uh, the answer to that question is yes, of course we are. We want a new theme as well, known as memorable as Indiana Jones. But um, that disarming sin of sarcasm is already been thrown out. It's too late. Um, that's a pretty sad way to look at the world. But I think that's how most millennials do it, whether or not we realize it. And it has to do with what millennials are actually looking for in their music. And the answer to that is pretty simple. If you look at the sales figures, it's the media venture stuff. That's the stuff that sells very well. And when you ask millennials what they like about it, or when you read the reviews, the word that comes up again and again and again is epic. Um, you want to do something fun, go to YouTube, search epic music. You'll come up with these gigantic four or five hour videos, which are these compilations of dozens of Hans Zimmer tracks with uh, movie soundtracks from other media venture people, some video game soundtracks, and even a lot of uh, trailer tracks, all just kind of thrown into one. And when you listen to it, um, if you didn't already know the soundtracks included in it, you would never be able to tell when you're going from one soundtrack to another, or sometimes even one um, individual track from another. All the scores just kind of fit together seamlessly, one big blend of uh, string ostinatos and, you know, the drums and the electronic bass and all that kind of stuff that media ventures people do. Um, what, do what do people use this music for? And the answer to that question is, well, that's they lift to it and they run to it and they listen to it when they want to uh, keep themselves going late at night to do a homework or a coding project or something else. And the really funny thing about this is that you can't, you can't lift to Jurassic Park. Um, you can't even lift to Indiana Jones or uh, Star Wars, uh, partly because the themes are just, just too heroic too righteous, too wonder-filled, and that doesn't fit the tone of what they're doing. Um, and also because they're so distinctive, and they are almost disruptive. They disrupt your flow if they call you to have think back to that movie, those characters. Whereas if it's just kind of generic epic music, that matches you and what you're doing and just lets you go with the flow. As you lose yourself in it without being kind of disrupted and being called back away from whatever you're doing, lifting or doing your project or whatever, and brings you back to that movie and its memory and its emotions. So it's the exact fact that it's so distinctive is partly why people don't like it as much. And then, you know, heroes and ground adventure are just treated with the same kind of sarcasm and cynicism as everything else. Being cool and being epic is above such things. It's about being above such things. So, of course, um, that music will be a little bit above being openly distinctive and grand as well. So that was T. Greer's wonderful uh, voicemail he sent to us via SpeakPipe. You can do the same. You don't have to send us one that's 10 minutes long or in nine parts, uh, but you can use our SpeakPipe widget on the TrackSound site or on our blog. Uh, all you do is click it, have your mic ready, and record your voicemail. They're a minute 30 seconds long, so if you have something more longer than that, you need to plan it out. Like uh, I think Tim, I don't know if his name is Tim or not, T. Greer did. Um, but a uh, minute 30? Hey. Uh, if you have something to share that you want to react to uh, in one of our episodes, we are more than happy to uh, receive that from you. You can also respond. You don't have to use SpeakPipe, but you can send us an email, which some of you have, at soundcast at tracksounds.com. Or we get a lot of feedback on Twitter, uh, at tracksounds. I know, uh, Eric, you get some on Twitter as well. And I think we get a little bit on Facebook, but probably yeah, not, as much. Yeah. not as much. Um, so what did you think about uh, T. Greer's response? 
Ah, uh, wow. Overall, um, well, I said beforehand. I mean, he's so well spoken, and he had so many uh, great points that. Uh, I mean, he went into more more detail about mm-hmm. why this is an issue, but I think that some of the points that he brought up mirrored what we had to say in yeah. episode three, and which was I thought interesting because at the beginning of that conversation or the beginning of his speech, I thought, oh, he's going to go off somewhere totally different mm-hmm. but essentially he's agreeing with us but giving us a little bit more insight from his age bracket and as to why these things might happen which was quite eye-opening for me yeah. listening to i think about the, the first half of that it was like wow this this actually does make sense and it's not you and i chris uh talking about it as yeah. you know guys who are in our 40s um it, this is somebody who's a millennial who's kind of you know, I don't know how old he was. Maybe he's in his twenties, and uh, you know, talking about it from his point of view, and to see that there are things that are mirrored um, is actually quite interesting. And so, I don't feel as bad as I did, you know, back in episode three, where I was just putting down film music. But it seems to be something that even the people who are twenty years younger than us, who mm-hmm. are experiencing film music differently, who are who are, I guess, more in tune, I guess, with the the modern state of, of film um, that sort of eat this stuff up, that they are seeing an issue with film mm-hmm. music or not so much film music, but the film music theme as well. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, yeah, he brought us some, you know, two interesting points of view or two points um, regarding, you know, the internationalization of Hollywood um, and, you know, how we talked about, and I remember, you know, quoting another podcast that was quoting a book was talking about, you know, the dumbing down of, of Hollywood and why they're making things so basic. And um, I think there's a number of reasons, but it does make sense when he talked about, uh, you know, Amer- the, the cultural things that are can be in very classic American movies. He brought up The Godfather specifically or in American comedies, and it's just going to be lost on people in different cultures. And so you eliminate that, a lot of those things, so that it has a, a broader appeal, which I, I totally understand it, but I totally lament it as well. Um, yes, you're maybe you're growing your 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 audience internationally because you make it more um comprehensible culturally but you're going to lose american uh audience because it's too bland and too boring um so i guess the gains outweigh the losses there but so i lament that um then he brings up red cliff uh, which is John Woo's film from a few years ago, which I absolutely love. It's probably my favorite John Woo film because it's very not really John Wooish. Uh, I don't know. If, did you see Red Cliff? No, I haven't. It was released in two parts uh, in China, two really long parts, a couple hours long each, and then in the U.S., um, the Weinstein's released it, but it was like a combined. They combined the two to make one fairly long movie, but they eliminated several subplots that were really interesting. So I really don't like the American cut of it. But it's 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 tale of oh I forget the specific name and I don't want to say it wrong and offend any of our Chinese listeners if you have any. Um, but it, a very famous tale of, of the Bow of the Three Kingdoms or something like that. Anyway, it's a fantastic film. And it's played very straight. And his point about, you know, I think this really sums a lot of it up. The Chinese being very earnest while Americans are very cynical. Well, that's that is very true. And we talked about, you know, the the music of the past, film music of the past is very earnest. It's like 
we feel sad, we feel joy, we feel horrible. You know, it's just very, it's just written as it was meant to uh, communicate whatever feeling. And where uh, in the Chinese and in Asia as a whole, and in Japanese film scores especially, very, very earnest, um, where we just don't do that so much anymore. And I really like the point that he brought up in comparing, because Red Cliff was supposedly... Um, a little bit dumbed down from the Chinese perspective to have a wider international audience. I like a lot of Asian film and I like that one too. I didn't feel like it was dumbed down for me personally, but um, I think it'd be interesting if you watch that movie to see what you think about the film and the score as a whole, because it's a, it's an amazing score. I think I nominated it for a number of, you know, Q awards that year. Uh, but what do you think about his points there? Well, it's interesting to hear him uh, go back and sort of, blame is a hard word, but to kind of throw it all back at America. Mm. And I guess you can throw in Canada as well. Um, <laughs> you know, it's all North American. Yeah, and, sure. Um, it, I, I would say that we all feel the same way. Um, and that, that, that really interested me because, I mean, a lot of the... I guess the big, of course, the big movies are coming out of America, out of Hollywood. It's what everybody wants to see. Hmm. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of people complain about, about film music. And what do they m mostly complain about? They complain about film music that is more specifically in those Hollywood summer um, blockbusters. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what you and I were on as well is, is those movies used to be kind of the, the tent poles for us as film music fans, even as movie fans. Mm -hmm. um, we used to look forward to the summer blockbuster because it would offer us a great story, a wonderful spectacle, a great movie going experience, but it would also bring together kind of the, the big names in, in Hollywood film music, but they were also, just incredibly talented composers that would write real memorable, amazing scores. And nowadays, and maybe this gets back to millennials and their cynicism and the way that they um, digest film and just maybe the way they are right now. I don't, I mean, I, I work with a bunch of millennials, mm -hmm. but I, I think we might've brought this up in an earlier show, but they have a different view on film because they have a, we work, I work in video so they obviously um, digest a lot more film, a lot more styles of movies. So um, we can all basically talk on the same level he, um, at, at work, and we understand each other even though there are 20 years, 15 to 20 years separating us. But anyway, going back to just the Hollywood system, it's just interesting that within Hollywood, it's, that's where the scores are sort of dying, or they're the mm -hmm. ones that you and I appreciate, those emotional you know, emotive, those memorable film scores where if you look outside of Hollywood and the Hollywood system, you know, places like Japan and, and Spain mm -hmm. are just thriving. That, that yeah. music is, is still the stuff that you and I very much enjoy. And mm -hmm. it really does take a lot of work to look outside of Hollywood and all of those films and find those gems. They are there, but you got to really do a lot of work now. Whereas maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, you didn't have to. They were right there. They yeah. were, you know, they were being made uh, on this side of the pond. And it was, that was the best of the best. Yeah. And not anymore. And not saying that they aren't being made, but again, you really have to kind of- You have to look. Look. 
to yeah. find those real good ones in in Hollywood today. You know, for instance, just listening to Pete's Dragon for me was just a, a revelation. Just enjoyed that so much. Just yeah. so much emotion. So memorable. And that comes from a big Walt Disney film. Yeah. Um, and again, that might have something to do with it. it's Walt Disney. Yeah, it's, I think so. Right. But still, it's it's a it's a big corporation. It's a big company. It's a Hollywood blockbuster. And look what we get. Something emotive, something memorable. And maybe that's something that we might not have put so high on our lists, at least for me. I, I think it's top 10 material. Mm-hmm. Maybe 20 years ago, it might not have been. But right. we don't get those type of scores much anymore. Right. And so when we hear something like that, all of a sudden we're, we're, we're pulled towards it, even though it might be a little simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it gave me those feelings that I used to have. And so... You know, even in television and video game music, I'm finding the music that I used to love, the style of music that I used to love, are still being written in those mediums. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it, it's a little disappointing that where I remember being a kid, those big tentpole pictures were would be the place places where I would find my favorite music: Star Wars, Raiders of Lost Ark, E.T., Back to the Future. You know, you, you name them all off, and right. those were all great. Now it's a little bit of work and. Again, blaming America is um, kind of an interesting point. Do you do you connect it to the cynicism, though? I mean, because America is pretty, pretty cynical, and I, and I count myself among and cynical I would, Americans. Yeah, and I would never have put the two together in relation to the way they feel about life itself and the films yeah. that they're di- digesting. Yeah, it's quite an interesting. Uh, interesting point to make and that's why I love this comment this this feedback so much because it was like wow he's actually making a really good point yeah and I think in the future I would love to have a group of you know five six millennials talking like you know just hardcore not maybe not hardcore just kind of average movie goers sure and see what they have to say and whether that mirrors what is being said in this feedback here because I think it's a very interesting thing and it's just something that I'd have a hard time commenting on because I necessarily haven't experienced that or talked to anybody that feels that way um, mm. about necessarily the world and relating it to their film going experience. It, it makes sense though. I mean, think about, think about the era, you know, when these millennials became adults and how different uh, culture in North America, let's say compared to when we became adults at 18, 19, 20, you know, just so different. Different. I mean, I, I I think I would be a cynical millennial too. You know, if I was a millennial, I'd probably probably be like them. And, and the way he connected it to the film, their 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 appreciation of different types of film music is like, look, if you're trying to, if you're earnest, there's you're, you've got an you've got another agenda. If you if you're being upfront and truthful, or doing some doing good for good sake, or doing something for the sake of beauty, that's then I have reason to mistrust you. If you're trying to make me feel a certain way, I have reason to mistrust you. And so that was a really interesting connection to if I hear a film score that's trying to, quote unquote, make me feel a certain way, I'm going to push back against that because I don't I don't want you to try to do that. I'll do that myself. You know, and, and that that was a really interesting interesting connection that I don't think I would have ever made, but it kind of makes sense. Oh, and yes, I, it does. And, and I hear enough things from enough millennials. I watch enough um, movie reviewers on YouTube or listen to podcasts where I see that come through and where it makes no sense to me. Like, why wouldn't you like that? It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, 
if that's my mindset, then yeah, I would push back to him like, well, don't try to make me feel anything. I'll feel how I want to feel, <laughs> you know? And, but for us, it doesn't feel like manipulation at all. It's, I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's like, no, pull me in, pull me into your story. I'm all yours. That's why I sat down to watch this movie. Whatever it is you're selling, uh, give me your best shot for me to participate in this story. Music and emotions included. I don't know. What, how do you feel about that particular point? Well, what I was thinking about is, um, you know, just how everything ha- is being steered more towards realism. Being mm-hmm. able to feel as if you're there and really being able to experience that in a less grandiose uh style for lack of a better word and the first thing that actually came to my mind was thinking about the evolution of the medal of honor video game series mm-hmm. and would back in 19 i think it was 98 99 the first medal of honor came out mm-hmm. on the heels of saving private ryan mm-hmm. and we get this enormous adventure score from michael giacchino mm-hmm. and the goal was to put you like right there into World War II, but also make it feel like you're in the movie. And that's yeah, very it's a little different. romanticized. Yes, right? very mm-hmm. much so. Mm-hmm. Now you get into Medal of Honor. <laughs> They've tossed World War II out. They've tossed, oh, yeah. I'm not saying the fun, but it's not romanticized anymore. No. Think about the composers that are now working on those series. Yeah. It's all just raw and gritty yeah. and real and just horrible. And not meaning that the games are horrible. I'm just no. like, everything is horrible in the world. And, and, and you can't have a heroic moment. You're just like, oh, I just want to go and kill as many people as possible. Right. And again, that just, there's the demographic of 18 to 35. That's what everybody kind of goes for. That's what they look for in selling their tickets. And that's who they're going for. You and I are outside that group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we feel one way. And I guess we just don't understand and I guess all generations go through this, where the older folks just don't understand the youngins. And, uh, you know, it, it's really an interesting progression, just from, like, even 1998 to, sure. well, to now. Years. Right, <laughs> right. Years. Yeah. And yeah. it's, I don't know, that, that just feels like yesterday. But I, it, it does, <laughs> but, 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 you know, that's, that's, what, that's the first thing I think of, yeah. is just that evolution uh, in, in, in video games. And not saying that, again, video games you can't have fun with, I mean. I've been looking at uh, video gameplay of Abzu, and that just looks absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Just how many 18 to 35s are playing that game? I don't know. It's um, an interesting question. So, I, but yeah, but Medal of Honor is an interesting way of thinking it. And you're right, that the 20-year time period mm-hmm. is we've gone past and look at the evolution of that and how that, I guess, mirrors what's happening in well, Hollywood these days. And part of it, too, is with those, with that first... Those first couple generations of of um, World War Two game, you know, there's a, a nostalgia factor. You know, there's a romanticized uh, vision to some degree. I mean, even though some of the gameplay, I remember playing some of those for the first time, and you know, doing the whole D Day, and oh my gosh, it was so freaking hard. It's like, I mean, it just made it very real. Even though it was, there's no music playing when you're when you're trying to get up Omaha beach, let's right. say that once you right. uh, complete the mission, you get the music and all, and it's set up and it's heroic and I get you all, yeah, I got to do it. You know, but then when you're on the beach, it's just explosions and people dying and all of that. So it take just like saving private Ryan, it takes all of that out. But as a whole, you know, it, it's a very 
we very much romanticize World War II. Uh, I mean, it's it's fascinating uh, war. I mean, horrible, but fascinating. Mm-hmm. And But now with these new Medal of Honors and battlefields and all that, it's all contemporary or futuristic even. So yeah, that kind of music just obviously wouldn't work. Um, but it fits in with the mindset as well. And um, he brought what I'll segue into his other really interesting point is why millennials like the whole Hans Zimmer media venture remote control mm-hmm. um, music so much. And that really made a heck of a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it did. And, and just before you get into that, because yeah. I was going to bring up just it's it's in. I just want to say that they don't not like music like they like sure music it's oh, a yeah. certain brand of music now that they like so it's not saying that no 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 you can't have music in these films right. it's just That's why why is it they like the music they want it to be noticeable but it's just loud and in your face and yeah you'll tell us why yeah well he says basically you know if he, i think he asked a bunch of or no he said uh somehow the word epic uh, came up a bunch of times. I'm forgetting what the context was now, but or if you do a search for epic music on YouTube, you'll find a gazillion different mixes or uh, really long videos with all of these media ventures, remote control, Hans Zimmer uh, scores all weaved together. And I've seen that myself. And I'm like, I mean, I might listen to a bit of it, but like four hours. I'm like, no, thanks. Um, and he he talks about them, the way they listen to this music is they're doing something. They're lift. They're lifting weights. They're running, or they're studying to it, and it and it isn't distracting with all of these in your face French horn and trumpet themes and all. It's it's just it's mood music, and it kind of inf- helps to enforce or support what they're doing as opposed to distracting with storytelling or th- or themes coming out of you know into their ears left and right. It's it's. It can fade in the background, but yet you still can appreciate it. And I thought that was a really good uh, point. Um, I don't understand so how over the last 20, 30 years, you know, we've we can't just listen to the music. I mean, I'm doing stuff when I listen to film music all the time, and I like having that thematic thing going on. Um, I like being reminded of characters or whatnot while I'm doing other things. So, uh, but at times I do like the more nondescript music as well while I'm doing something. So, so I, I, I guess the old man of me doesn't understand why you can't appreciate both types of music. Um, why, yeah, it doesn't motivate me to want to run. Although I dare anyone to listen to Bill Conti's music for Rocky and not be inspired to work out or do something. I mean, how do you not? Um, so, yeah, I thought, but I still thought it was a really interesting point of how millennials consume these soundtracks afterwards, outside of the context of the film, and what they're doing, how they're listening to it, or when they're listening to it, might be different than how you or I may have started listening to these to to film scores. What did you think? Well, yeah, you. Br- I mean, you brought up the point about it being generic and going back to you know memorable themes, and so right now what the last thing they want is something hummable to distract them from the movie which mirrors what i would say is happening a lot in hollywood these days where directors producers studios whomever are really afraid of of music distract and I think, them from the movie well, while they're that, watching the movie and that and that could possibly be the reason why um you hmm. again saying going back to them using this music for for you know exercising or whatever they want something in the background 
Mm-hmm. They just don't want anything to be too distinctive. Mm-hmm. And oh, so, I thought you were saying distract them while they're watching the movie and a theme well, comes up. Right, and that, and that could obviously be it. And, that, and again, it goes back to maybe something that just takes them out of the movie. It's distracting. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is a, they get this emotional connection all of a sudden and it's something they don't want. They just want to be involved in the movie. And if the, the score can maybe just set the mood, that's it. Just set the mood mm-hmm. and don't have anything to say. They're okay with it. Um, it, again, not being distracting, not being too distinctive, just generic enough to do its job, and that's it. Yeah. For me, that's the last thing I want to hear in a movie score. Yeah. But again, it it, it mirrors a couple of comments that I have been reading um, from from composers as well, just saying that they just want to write functional music. And it just blows me away that that's all you want to do is write just functional music. And I don't know whether that comes from, you know, so many fingers in the pie nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody has a say, Uh, you know, you just want to do the job. And I don't want to say this as if you're just getting paid and you're doing just for a paycheck, but it's like, let's get the job. Let's do the job. Let's do it well to the way the director and producer wants it. And then let's move on and let's go and make another paycheck because I got to feed my family. This is my job. I'm a film composer. This is what I do. And I have got to do what these people say. And it's right now, for me, looking like just directors, producers, studios, anybody, are just afraid, absolutely afraid of what music is going to say about their moving images. Mm-hmm. And whether, God, are they even thinking that maybe the music might be saying more than what they want or the music <laughs> might get more attention even though it works <laughs> It's like, yeah. no, 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 this is my film. The music and musician had nothing to do with it. Da, 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 da. This is yeah. me. This is me. Um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It's, um, it's such a strange, weird topic. And there's some things that I don't clearly understand, especially with the younger audience. Um, and maybe we're just in a very small minority. I mean, who knows what, you know, I, I don't know. I remember kids when I was growing up, they loved these types of movies and scores as well. Um, they weren't as hardcore about it as I am, but it, it was never like, we always thought the the score from the Goonies was cool or the last starfighter was cool. You know, we'd Mm -hmm. be singing star Wars and things like that. That was cool to us. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to hear was, was, you know, sort of like our, 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 our favorite rock band and their sound in a movie score. That's something I didn't, I didn't want to hear. I didn't want to go exercise to, if I want to listen to rock music, I'll go listen to rock music. Sure. If I want to listen to my film scores. Then I'll go listen to my film scores. Sure. And well, uh, so now, now it's like now it's like they they want them to just kind of uh, coincide to to mix together. They yes. they want you know their their favorite sounds from their top forty whatever it is to be you know heard in these movies. Yeah. And that just makes them comfortable. Yeah. Well, I think you touched on something really important. Uh, uh, a key, you know that because of this of the culture the culture that we live in now, the age that we live in, where everything is. You can get everything at any time. You know what I mean? You can listen to whatever you want. You can listen to some electronica. The next track you can listen to can be some heavy metal thing. You can listen to some Broadway music. You know, everything is kind of homogenized, not homogenized, but everything is there right for, you know, if you listen to Spotify, it's like, it's just all right there immediately. Think about when we were growing up, you know, 
if you're not listening to the radio and you're playing your own music, it's like, put the record on, oh, wrong side, flip it over, Mm -hmm. move the needle over to the track, listen to it, okay, listen to it, take it off, take the needle off, pull the record off, find the one you want next, put it on, put it down. You know, that whole process takes time, whereas now it's just click, hit random, boom, here's everything. You know, everything is all just kind of mixed together, and that's just how they do it. You know what I mean? But I know for myself... Maybe and maybe this is what they don't do, the millennials, and that is, I want to purposefully listen to a film score, not find music to support what I'm doing. Fantastic you know what I mean? Point. Yep. I give me. I want to now listen to uh, the theory of everything. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to listen to that. I want to hear the music that was written, not just tuck it in the background while I do my work. Sometimes I want to do that, but sometimes I just want to. Take some time and listen and appreciate the music. And I wonder, I wonder if they do that. I wonder if they say, I want to listen to Batman versus Superman. I want to sit down and listen to the music and the story being told. I don't know if they do that or not. I don't I think they I do. Don't. I don't think they do. I think <laughs> I they, got, do they got a bad, that generation's got a bad case of ADD. And it's just yeah. because they have just so much thrown at them each and every day. There is just, it is amazing how much information yeah. You can just bring in in a single day. There is not enough time to bring right. it all in. Right. And so you got to have little snippets. And for yeah. instance, like, you know, little headlines are going to tease you to the bigger review, which really doesn't tell you much any, anyway. So it's right. like a face, quick Facebook post right. with 140 characters you get on Twitter mm-hmm. or top 40 radio. When you're, when you're not really celebrating the album, you're listening to one track. You have mm-hmm. no idea albums used to be made as a, as a single listen. There was a reason. There was a theme. There was something. You, you listen to track one to 10 to 12 or whatever, mm-hmm. you'd go through a story. Now it's just, what's the great hit? You know, yeah. how you give me five minutes and then I'm off onto something else. And I notice that with my kids. Hmm. My kids are 10 and seven and they can't sit still. They cannot sit still with the exception of maybe playing video games. But hmm. even that, it's just doing something with their hands. They're doing something with their hands. They got to do something. Blah blah blah. Father, stop doing that. We got to go outside and go bleh, go crazy. Now they'll they'll right. stop for twenty minutes playing Nerf guns, and then it's on to playing. For me, it's road hockey. But they're out there for ten minutes. Where right. I remember when I was a kid, I'm out there for three and a half hours. Right. And I'd be doing like I would think of one thing at once. But I think within my kids' brains and the eighteen to thirty five maybe market, it's just so much is happening. They've got to do a million things at once. Yeah. They've got three or four devices, you know, like a, they got a computer, an iPad, an iPhone, whatever. It's just they got them all. Yeah. And they all have got to be connected somehow, and they need all the information possible. And you got to do it within five-minute chunks, or else they'll just blow their brains out because they just can't handle sitting still right. and absorbing something and enjoying it and re-listening to it again. Mm-hmm. It, I, I see it. I see it with my kids. And I see it with, um, you know, some some of the people that, uh, well, not necessarily the people I work with, but I, I've seen it other other places where it's oh, just. I see adults who are that way. Older than me. Well, and you know what? I'll I'll be honest too. That this this lot of information, I could sit there on my computer for hours and just, yes. you know, just typing out Facebook posts posts or whatever. But you know what? I've got an album on, and I'm paying attention to that, and I'm not listening to just one track. <laughs> I've got an right. entire album on spinning and. Yeah. I want to listen to E.T., I'm going to listen to the whole thing, yeah. not just the chase music and then move on to something else. Right. Um, I mean, how incomplete of an experience is that? You know, what if you listen does. just to that opening track? Yeah. I mean, I, and, and, you know, <laughs> and to, you to, be, to be fair, if I'm in the car, I don't listen to full albums. 
It's a mix. And I don't yeah. know why. I have a real tough time in the car listening to a full album. So I always have a, a best of playlist going. Interesting. But at home, and you know, if I'm doing stuff, I can have a better and easier time paying attention to a full album um, than I do uh, on the road, which is really crazy. But um, hmm, yeah, that that's interesting. interesting. Yep. Well, uh, we want to thank T. Greer for that uh, really great voicemail that he left us. Uh, it was obviously sprung uh spurned a little bit more conversation about the state of film music he i think he answered a little bit of some questions that we've yeah, had i think and so. brought some new ones up and so we really appreciate that now uh, again i want to encourage our listeners use that speak pipe widget um, let us know what you thought you don't have to you know give a dissertation um but just share your thoughts hey i like this episode because hey i uh, w- wish you guys would do an episode on this or that or i think you guys are wrong on this point uh i th- Whatever, whatever you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear. It just lets us know that you're listening, and we we can tell what's engaging you and what's not. If we don't hear from you, we just kind of go on what we think and what we think might not be interesting to you. So here, that's your opportunity to share with us. Again, can you speak pipe if you want? If not, it's fine. Email us at soundcast at tracksounds.com. Hit us up on Twitter at tracksounds or on Facebook. Um, what other ways do we have? I think those are the main ways. And then, of course, if you want to get directly to me, and bypass all the track sound stuff for some odd reason, you can do so and follow me on Twitter at C Coleman. And you can also do the same with Eric. Yeah, I'm at uh, Sinsound Radio on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook at Cinematic Sound. And you can check out my weekly two-hour film music radio show at cinematicsound.net. If you can, millennials, give it a shot. Two hours <laughs> of listening to film music. And I play everything. I play everything. I play all your millennial stuff, but I also got some good old school stuff in there you might want to pay attention to because we're so old and (laughs) listen to our old music. It's a good way to introduce yourself to some other things. Yes. Sit and listen. You got to pay attention, though. It's Like you said, it's two hours. I know it's a long time for you guys. It's two hours. Um, So that's going to do it for for this feedback, listener (laughs) feedback edition. Oh, hey, one other thing. One other thing. Uh, We we actually we oh, were yeah. talking about that. We need some help because I'm gonna let you know that at the beginning of these shows when we do our little um, intros, where you know, like, hi, I'm Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound, and I like to do such and such and such. You will not believe how long Chris and I talk about <laughs> this and how long it takes us to come up with an idea. So, what I think would be a great idea is during the week, guys, come up with an idea. Let us know what you want us to hear or answer or say at the beginning of the show. So ask us what our favorite movies are, what our favorite tracks are, or what our favorite composers are, or whatever. And we will answer that question in our little tease at the beginning of the show. Yeah, that's a great idea. So hit us up on Twitter, email us, whatever whatever questions you like. No matter how obscure, you're like, who's your favorite, uh, I don't know, Retro? No, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask us that. Uh, You can ask me that. Don't ask Eric that. Um, You know, who's your favorite Italian composer or whatever? Um, Just obscure anything. Uh, Anything you'd like to know, we'll try our best to answer it. Um, So, yeah, great idea. And that will wrap up episode nine of Soundcast Stereo. And so our next episode, we want to go old school and just tell you to keep it balanced. (laughs) 